Otherwise on SAFM. And a very good day to you, Mzansi. Welcome to Otherwise on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. My name is Shadow Twala. Hazel Makazene is the producer of the show. And Rob Parkin is our technical producer for today. Our contact details are 0892102010. Email otherwise at safm.co.za. Tweets at otherwise safm or at Shadow Twala. Now, how good are you at change? Small or big changes? Professional changes or personal changes? Well, the, to answer these questions, we've invited CEO and founder of First 30 Days, Ariane, and we'll tell you her surname when she joins me. She will share her wisdom with us. And then there's a photographic exhibition on women in resistance in Durban this weekend, and we go behind the lens with Pierre Yves. Again, another French name and surname, Yves Jeunette. I'm going to try and say that, say it that way. Uh, but first, our lunch bite for today. And now that I'm, I'm really honoured to have Ariane in the studio. I thought, Ariane, welcome firstly. Thank you, Shadow. It's lovely to be here. But thank you for coming in. Uh, what, what drives you? As, as my lunch bite, I thought I'd ask you, um, because you're such an inspiration, what, what, what's your motto? What do you live by? Uh, I live by making a difference. I think when my life works, my focus and attention is on other people, mm-hmm. helping other people, figuring out why we're here, what we're here to be doing. Um, I live by, I find doing what I'm meant to be doing, sharing my gifts, um, being a good person. And there you are here to share your gifts with you. Well, I hope you inspire us much this, this afternoon. We'll take a little break. And when we come back, we're talking about change, which is a huge subject, and you know, on its own. Uh, but we'll try and break it down for you. And Ariane has also written the book, the, F- the First 30 Days, Your Guide to Making Any Change Easier, whether it be in finances and relationships, in health and family or career. But we talk to her after this. Otherwise... On SAFM. Ariane de Bonboisson. Did I say that correctly? You did. That was fantastic. <laughs> is, is it how you say it really? De Bonvoisin. De Bonvoisin. So the, the S is a Z. Okay. What, does it mean anything? It does. So it's a French name. It means good neighbor. Oh, my goodness. Yes. How appropriate is that? Sometimes. <laughs> Not necessarily on airplanes. Is it, oh, oh, okay. Okay, you prefer to keep to yourself? Sometimes I do, but sometimes you're a bit squashed. You don't want to talk, and people want to talk. And, and I would have thought, because of the work you do, you want to talk to everybody and reach out to everybody. You know, sometimes you're on, sometimes you're off. Mm-hmm. I think with the work I do, I've interviewed two, 3,000 people now on all different types of life change. Oh and sometimes I'm fascinated to hear about someone's divorce or someone's health challenge or someone's issue with their baby or their mm. job. Mm. And sometimes you just want to turn off, have a nice meal, read a book, watch a film. And is the surname your husband's? Um, it's not actually. It's mine. I've kept it's, my name. You've kept your name. Yeah, my husband um, is a South African. That's actually what brought me here to uh, this beautiful country. Oh, I love him. Thank you so much. Yes, we love we him We must too. thank him thank for bringing you. me here and telling me deserve a medal for that. Because then we get to keep you and, 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 and share your wisdom with you. We're talking about change, and for me, the word change always means fear. Mm. And I, I don't know if anyone can do anything about it. I've always resisted change because I, I, I'm not sure what it brings. Of course. And I suppose I've I've made my situation worse mm. by fearing it and not mm. wanting to deal with it. Mm. Instead, fighting to keep what mm. is. Mm. What am I doing wrong? 
you're not doing wrong. You're completely normal and completely human. I think from everyone I've interviewed, what was interesting to me when I started talking to people was I would hear that from everyone. I would hear things like change is hard. Mm. I hate change. Mm. I'm bad at change. Mm. I'm overwhelmed with change. I don't know how to start thinking about change. If it's and something it costs that, money. It costs change. money. I'm not good enough. I don't have the time to change. I'm too old, old to change. To change yeah. Or I'm too young to change. Or, you know, a couple of others which are really interesting is um, it's not my nature. I'm going to disappoint someone. Mm. Someone's going to get hurt if I change. And it was. Or I'm waiting for somebody else to change. Oh, that's a big to one. To affect yeah. my change. Yes. The spouse, the teenager, mm. the mother, the mm. father, the boss. So the excuses were really sort of quite normal. And I thought, wow, I keep hearing this. And then. People have this belief that change is hard. Mm. And the truth is, you know, a lot of the times, the very best things that have ever happened to you in your life have also happened because something changed. Mm. Whether you had kids, whether you got married, whether you moved, whether you started a job that you loved, whether you bought a new home, you know, whether you lost some weight. All those things are also things that changed, but it's the bad changes or the tough changes that basically stick with us. And we don't necessarily sort of value change as something where... Life, the universe, God, is also trying to sort of open some doors. And sometimes, you know, those can speak through your intuition. So your intuition starts going off. You're in the wrong job or you're in the wrong relationship or you've got to lose some weight. And the thing is, we don't listen to that. And then it happens and it happens and then boom, something changes mm. and then we're a bit surprised. But you're, you're right, Shadow, because one of the principles of change that I've found is um, what I call the change demons. And the change demons are all those common emotions that show up no matter what when you're going through a change. And they're very predictable. And fear is the number one predictor of people going through change because it means uncertainty. It means not knowing. It means impatience. You want things to speed up. You want to know it quickly. But is it a, 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 a kind of ripple effect? Because when one thing changes, and I think that's where my fear comes from, it means everything else around you is going mm-hmm. to change. Yeah. So if you're moving home, your route to work is going to change. Uh, the distance may change, which costs more money, I suppose. Um, and how are you going to acclimatize to your new space and the people around you? So it, 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 it just, it, and is it, is, is it okay for us to think of it in that large scale? Or do you just deal with what is immediate? You know, it's, uh, both of those are right, actually, because I always think that the, the hardest change you'll ever go through is a change in your identity. It's a change in how you see and view yourself. Mm-hmm. So I'm, a, a, I'm married to I'm divorced, or I'm a parent to now I'm a single parent, to mm-hmm. I'm employed to I'm unemployed. The, the way you view yourself is a much harder change than the change in sort of your external environment and your external life. Mm-hmm. And those for people are the ones that they have the most struggle with because they involve other people, they involve shame, they involve guilt, they involve Mm. how they show up in the world. Mm. I think, you know, a change, for example, a a moving change, it's sort of an uprooting. And I think we, you know, we crave safety, we crave Mm. certainty, we crave knowing where we are, what we're doing on a daily basis. And yet, you know, the joy and the creativity and the life force often happens when you are uncertain. Mm. I tell you, the very best of who you are 
comes out during times of change. It does not come out during times of certainty where you know what you're going to do all day, every day, and next weekend and next month. It's sort of, you, you can feel how powerful you are when you have to be stretched, when you have to be out of your comfort zone. And yet it's just so incredibly uncomfortable. The other part to your question where you said, you know, the sort of bigger view, mm. what I find people do is they stack. So, Something will happen in their job mm. or something will happen in their health or something will happen in their family. And they will stack everything where instead of just focusing on the one thing that's mm. changed, mm. they'll go, and I have an issue with my child mm. and I have an issue with my spouse <laughs> and I should stop smoking and I have financial issues. And then suddenly it appears like all your life is now up for change. Mm. And when I say to these people, is just chunk it down. It's too overwhelming. You focus on that one change, the door that's right in front of you, mm. as opposed to bringing another 10 friends along with it. Mm. You know, there will be a right time for the next ones. You mentioned universe, God, and I suppose destiny mm. falls straight into that. Uh, and we, we hear words like being present every day, knowing who we are, which you also mentioned. I want to break that down a bit. Um, how much influence and how do you recognize that this is what your destiny is and this mm. is what the universe wants for you mm. as opposed to what you thought you were supposed to do while mm. you here mm. also um, how you view yourself because mm. I think that's the, where the biggest challenge is yeah. you've, you've created this picture of who you are and how you present yourself to the world mm. and then the universe goes slap that's not who you are yeah. this is where you ought to yeah. be going how do you merge the two? And you're right, because, you know, change, when change is uncomfortable, it's because your plans are not happening the way you want them to, or they're not happening in the timing you want them to, or with the person you want them to. And so we have this very controlled idea, and we grip so tightly onto what we want, by what age, in what form, in mm. what manner. And, you know, life... It's all dark and handsome. comes to mind. And life is asking us to sort of have a bit more sort of openness and flexibility. And, I mean, for me, I can tell you, the more I sort of go into that part that you call the universe, you know, mm. your, your connection to your higher self. And I can tell you again from these interviews, another one of the principles of change is about finding your spiritual path. And it didn't look the same for everyone. But all the people that were good at change, they all had some form of a spiritual connection. Mm. And what I mean by that and what they meant by that is they could always find a part of themselves that did not change. So when everything around you is changing, if you can find a part of yourself where you like, you can observe the change, you can observe the craziness, the drama, the difficulty, the sadness, the pain, the up, the down. But there's a part of you that's just like, you know what? I can see a part of me that hasn't changed. Mm. I'm still here. Mm. I'm still breathing. Mm. I still have this. I can see it. I can feel it. That's when you start getting your power back. When you put your power into the relationship or into the home or into the job, you're very vulnerable because I can guarantee you those are going to change at some point Mm. in our life because everything's impermanent. And so it's it's why I mentioned it at the beginning of the interview, Your, your, your connection to something bigger than yourself. That's where I get my drive. That's where I, I can get refueled. Because otherwise, you know, we're just surviving. We're all exhausted. We're all mm. super busy. But that's where, that's where the faith comes in. It's the faith in, like, find out who you are. Find out what you love. Find out, you know, those are, they appear to be sort of, you know, when I have time mm. questions. Mm. And yet they determine everything. Your entire life will get better once you actually get a sense of who you are. And it comes with self-love. 
You know, people who are good at change have a pretty high amount of self-love. So when you find out who you are, when you find that higher power and you believe in yourself, you've got community around you, you've got family around you, you've got colleagues around you, and these people don't know you as that new person who's mm-hmm. found themselves. There's another challenge. It's a know. huge challenge. <laughs> it's it a huge challenge. And, you know, I joke about it, but... The, the sort of five, ten closest people in your life, whether they're your family or friends or your colleagues, they are not quite up for you changing. Oh, yeah. And so, and we get that wrong because we go to those people wanting them to blow wind in our sails and approve our change, whether mm-hmm. it's I want to change jobs or I want to marry this person or mm-hmm. leave this person or mm-hmm. I want to move countries. And, of course, they, they're not going to be your support team. And I, I tell people there's a very big difference between those friends and family, and what I call your change support team. Your change support team are people who are not vested in who and what you are. They don't know how many times you've tried to lose weight. They don't know, you know, your stories of who and what you've been for the last 10, 20, 30 years. Mm. They're just up for you changing, Mm. and they're up for you being encouraged in that change. So I I always say this. I said, you know, when change is happening in my life, my mother is not my first call Mm. because she will bring up way more fear than I even have. (laughs) She will remind me the next three weeks about it, even though I'm already over it in the next week. So be very conscious of who you bring into that. I call it quite a sacred space because some of these changes are, they're very personal. Mm. And eventually those people all come around and they'll, they'll believe in you. And, but it, it takes so much courage sometimes to change that it's just too much for them. Well, is it because you're also questioning their, their uh, identity because they may have to look at themselves oh. and think, oops, maybe I should change. Yeah. Big mirror for people. You know, if if you quit smoking, they'll they're gonna have to either make you feel bad about it or tell you it's not that bad. Mm. Or the same thing with if you lose the weight or if you leave the corporate job that you don't want anymore mm. and go do something you love. It's it's sort of eventually you really are an inspiration for people and for those people who you know they want to sort of hold you back in some ways. Just remember, it's their stuff. It's not your stuff. Uh, can I ask about your journey? Please your, do. Your changes, Please because do. they may, your defining moments, because they may help mm-hmm. us just get a grasp of this. How, what were your defining moments? How many do I get? Well, you know, <laughs> the first major <laughs> one that really got you to even write this book. You know, there's a couple. I mean, a defining moment is that I grew up in six countries. Mm-hmm. And so I think when you grow up in six countries around different nationalities and religions and cultures and races and food and schools and friends... You know, I I was born in the U.S. I grew up all over Asia and all over Europe. Change is very much sort of the constant. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of parents and any parents listening out there, we protect our kids from change. Mm -hmm. We don't want things to change. They're going to stay in the same school, the same house, the same church, same shopping center, and same weekend plans and same holiday. And then you're surprised that as an adult, your kids basically go out in the world and they're not very comfortable in Mm -hmm. their skin and they don't feel like life is, you know, a happy, positive place Mm -hmm. because you haven't been exposing them to actually the only constant which is life is going to change mm-hmm. so please like just start teaching your children about change that that is what's normal not the safety and security of 
an internal home or parents that love them or people that that's a certainty, but it's not, it doesn't come in sort of a location specifically. So I think that was probably the first sort of... And it's not tangible, that safety and security. No, it's a feeling, but you can tell people who feel safe. You can see them just the way they are in the Mm. world and people Mm. that are not. Mm. Next defining moment, I would say, was uh, probably moving to New York City. So I was in the corporate world for 12 years in New York, and I went a very safe route. I did what was expected of me. I did very big jobs. I climbed a very high corporate ladder. And it took me, you know, 10, 12 years to realize it was the wrong ladder, up against the wrong wall. And I'd worked 100-hour weeks, and I was unhappy. And the higher I got on the ladder, the less happy I was. And I was engaged to a guy that I thought I should be engaged to. Mm. And it was my heart's calling. None of it was. And it's really hard to face the truth where, you know, you think you've set up your life to be what's required. And sort of climbing off that ladder, big jump into the void, didn't have the other man lined up, didn't have the other job lined up, didn't actually have anything lined up. I just faced the truth that this was absolutely not my calling and my path. And the main thing that was missing was I didn't feel I was making a difference. I was like, this doesn't matter. This mm. is this not why I'm here. Mm. So talking those, about, those were big. Talking about a jump, and uh, somebody a few weeks ago said to me, they, they, they've decided they just jump and the net will appear yeah. because we're so mm. fearful of jumping as well because we're not too sure. We cannot guarantee what will, you know, protect us when we jump. Let's talk about the first 30 days. Why 30 days? You know, the first 30 days is a metaphor to get people started in the right way. So, you know, whether people are in the midst of a divorce or just had a baby or lost a job or starting a business, there's a way of going through change in a way that's positive Mm -hmm. and in a way that is negative and takes forever and holds you back. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted the book to sort of appeal to people who were at any point of that journey, even if it's been six months, Mm -hmm. you can start in the right way now. You know, it's like the metaphor of a plane, a plane's taking off. You can basically reorient the plane to basically get anywhere you want by making sometimes just a couple of degrees shifts. Mm. So, you know, psychology does say it, it takes 21 to 28 days to actually change and rewire the brain. This is It's not a psychology book. It's not a scientific book. It's a very practical, real-life stories. I've shared a lot of interviews of people who, you know, are regular normal people going through very normal changes. Mm. And I wanted to show how people who are good at change, how do they do it? How do they do it? So it's just a guide, as you say. It's not. It's it's not, and it may take longer than thirty days, as you say. But it's it's worth doing the daily work. It's worth doing the daily work because habits and where your mind goes um, is actually the results that you're going to get. Like I always say, you, you're going to get what you focus on. You're going to get the way that your beliefs are wired. What you believe about yourself and what's possible. What you believe about life is life on your side or is life against you. You're a lucky person, you're an unlucky person. Like those are hard, hardwired beliefs into people and they will make a huge difference as to whether you end up, you know, in one job or another job, in one relationship or another relationship. Mm. But the way the book is structured, it's very simple. It's um, what I call the nine principles of change. Mm. So while I was interviewing people, I had antenna on my head and I was like, why did this person get through losing a job? Why did this person get through losing their parent? Mm. Why did this person get through depression? Why did this person have a wonderful marriage? So it's not just negative difficult changes it's also you know some of the hardest changes are the really good ones did you find any kind of common uh, reason or common excuse 
from people who, let's say, lost a job and somebody who's lost a parent mm-hmm. or a, a, a person, a loved one. Were there commonalities at all? Did, did you see any kind of uh, similarities? I did, actually. I, You know, that's really what the whole book was about, because I looked for all the commonalities. Mm. Um, you know, one that comes to mind is that they didn't go into poor me and pity and, mm. you know, this horrible thing happened. They they felt their emotions. They felt the sadness. They felt the pain. They felt the anger. They felt the frustration. They felt all of those emotions. So they were very human about it. But they didn't go into blame. They didn't go into something or someone or God or this person is responsible. They didn't get it, go into this sort of victim mode. Mm. D- d- another question, very quickly, mourning your change. Mm-hmm. Does it help? Um, it does, absolutely. I mean, I you know, became a parent recently. And, I mean, people don't talk about mourning the life that you used to have, mm. the relationship you used to have, mm. the, the nights you used to have, the cuddles you used to have. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's, a, there's an amount of mourning, and it's, you know, it's supposedly not okay. Mm. And I think most people would say, you know, sit in some of that discomfort, because when you don't, that's when the stuff lasts forever. Yes. Just be with it fully. Mm. You know, I sort of often say to people, and I sometimes work one-on-one with people, is to sort of go, you know, just where is the sadness? Is it in your throat? Is it in your heart? Mm. Is it in your t- and just feel it. Just be in the sadness. Let it up. All it wants is to leave the body. That pain doesn't want to stick around. And crying it brings it out. Super as well. helps. Super crying helps. is gorgeous. Yeah. So who should read this book? Where do we find the book? I mean, you number two at exclusive. Yeah, Congratulations! Incredible. That's very exciting. Even yeah. just after a couple of weeks of of the book being out. So it's all over the country and all the big bookstores. You can get it online for people who've got you know Kindles and iPads. You can get it as an ebook if you don't want anyone else to see you reading it. <laughs> and you're a new mom, uh, but are you are you when are you ready to go out and talk to people and counsel people? Or, or share the information with people. You know. I think this is it now. I've, you know, my new my little guy is a year and a half, mm-hmm. um, and I've, I just wanted to be fully present with him for the last year. Mm. But now that the book is here and the book is out, I'm going to be doing talks. I'm going to be doing mm. workshops. Mm. Um, you can find me on the website, thefirst30days.com. Um, and I I feel you know I'm in South Africa for a reason. You know, I moved from New York City um, to be here and to also have children here. I thought it'd be much more beautiful place to have a kid well and be you couldn't have chosen a better no, time and a better place that's absolutely thank true. you for being here yes and thank you for joining me in the studio we'll, we'll i'm sure we'll talk to you again because as i've finished reading this book i will have more questions thank for you, you shadow such a pleasure <laughs> <laughs> that's ariane de bon bonjour <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, We'll take news headlines now in a minute with uh, Sir Utsile Sauko. Otherwise, on SAFM. Um, There's a photo exhibition uh, by Pierre-Yves Jeunette, and I prefer to call him that for now, and it's called Women in Resistance uh, at the Sanken Garden at the Durban Botanic Gardens. It's, It's open on the 20th of June and will close on the 10th of July. Um, and we now want to go behind the scenes with Pierre-Yves. Pierre-Yves, hello, welcome. Hello. Ça va? Thanks for welcoming me. Ça va bien. <laughs> Ça va et toi? Ça 
Ça va très bien. <laughs> no, thank, thank you for talking about the no, exhibition. Yes, no, that's the best I can do. Tell, tell me, have you always been a photographer, Pierre? Uh, no, first I, I worked in the finance for about 10 years. And then uh, in the mid-90s, I changed uh, my, <laughs> my professional orientation and I became a, a photojournalist. And, uh, and I worked about that subject of the woman in resistance uh, since uh, 98. And why specifically women in resistance? What attracted oh, you to that? Uh, in fact, it's just, uh, there are two reasons. The first one, um, it's in my life, I, I, in fact, I learned my, my job of, uh, I became a photojournalist working in Tibet, in occupied Tibet. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, covering all the, the, the human rights aspects there. And then I met wonderful women. These women were nuns, Tibetan nuns, and they were uh, fighting, struggling for the freedom of their, of their country, of their culture, religion, etc., etc. And these were young women, between 15 to 25, let's say, mm. and they were really amazing, amazing. And uh, I started to make a reportage about, about them, following them, and honestly, I thought it would be for one or two weeks, mm. not, nothing more. Mm. And I spent four years on that subject. Oh, my goodness. Four years on that only reportage with uh, an, an incredible amount of, of amazing meetings. And then I asked me a question. Just I said, oh, why do the media not talk about these wonderful women? Mm. And I started to, 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 to look after the, the, the covering of what we journalists, how we we talk about the, the, the news, the, the information, when the subject of the information is a man and when the subject of the information is a woman. Mm. There's a difference. Uh, we have to cover it. And I, I discovered that um, most of the acting women are invisible in the media, and that's why I started that, that project that uh, I'm focused on for uh, almost 18 years now. Well, you know, you, you, your exhibition is, is, is also showing how vulnerable to poverty these women are and, and education and wars. And I suppose that's, where, that's why you've called it Women in Resistance. But let's go back to Tibet for a minute. What, 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 was, what sort of women did you find there? Were they doing the same work? And you said they were between 15 and 25. Um, what can you tell us about them? They were, uh, in fact, they, they were just nuns, religious nuns in, in uh, nunneries, and uh, they were, uh, the only thing they, they wanted, they, they, they were asking for is just to, to practice their religion, practice, uh, speak their language, mm. uh, uh, live in their, uh, in their culture, and uh, etc., etc. And this is not possible in Tibet right now. And this was not possible in the 90s too, where, where, when I was there. Mm. So uh, these, these young women, some, sometimes teenagers, honestly, uh, they decided to, to show that they, they absolutely want that freedom. Some of them decided to go in the streets and demonstrate. Mm. And this is not easy to demonstrate in China. I can imagine. So they go in the streets with the Tibetan flag and, and, and shouting free Tibet, uh, for, uh, long life to Dalai Lama, etc., etc. And just for that, at this time, uh, the sentence was three years in jail. Sure. And every week you had one, two, three girls going in the street and doing the same thing. And at the, the, the end of the, uh, the, the 90s, 
uh, if you looked at, uh, you had a look at the, at the, the big um, prison of Lhasa, the capital city of Tibet, almost one-third, 40% of the, um, of the political prisoners there were nuns. And that is specifically remarkable for a population that is completely, uh, um, is really, they, are, they, they do not have a high level of consideration in the Tibetan population. There is a, a Tibetan um, a sentence, a famous Tibetan sentence that says, if you want a master, uh, ask your uh, son to become a monk. If you want a servant, ask your daughter to become a nun. Wow. So these servants, wow. Wow. they have led the resistance of the Tibetans during the 90s. Now, you, you didn't only go to Tibet. You, 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 know, you went to other countries. How did you handpick, um, you know, for instance, the, the Congo as, 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 part of your, as part of your reportage? In fact, after that first reportage in, in Tibet, and when I started to imagine that very uh, worldwide project, let's say, uh, my, my goal is to show the essential role of women and show all these women that we, journalists, do not usually show. Mm. And, and show how, how essential they are to all of us, men and women. And, uh, and then um, when I, uh, from 1999 and 2000, um, I, I go from continent to continent. I've been to 25 countries, approximately, mm. a bit more. And um, the goal was to have uh, people of all continents, all religions, all colors, all cultures, etc., etc. I would need several lives to cover the whole world. <laughs> but uh, slowly, with the actuality or with uh, different themas also of, of resistance, different uh, fields of resistance, and that's how I conducted that project. Uh, and then you talked about Congo, of course. If, if you think about uh, women rights violation, uh, probably Congo is one of the, uh, not probably, it's one of the worst, if not the worst country in the world. Mm. Uh, and for, for years about that. Um, I do not know for you guys in, in South Africa, but here in Europe, uh, the media covering about what happened in Congo is not... Um, I would say it's not fair. I mean, it's not... I don't understand the problem that we have. This is a major conflict with um, millions of dead people, and we do not talk about that on a, on a regular basis. I... If we go through the, the women problem, it's even less. Yeah, no, we, we, I, I think, you know, that's why we in South Africa have a month dedicated to women and also uh, violence against women because I, I think that's the time when we highlight what is going on beyond South Africa uh, and we are, you know, we, 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 we include other uh, countries on the continent and trying to engage other women from different parts of the continent. But have you tracked any of these women down since you took the pictures? Do you know what's happening in their lives, if their lives have changed at all, or um, it, it, nothing has changed? Depends on, it really depends on the country, depends on the woman. Um, I've met so many over the past uh, almost 20 years, I, I cannot yeah, reply in one sentence. For some of them, they really changed the history of their country. I'm thinking about Argentina, for example, with the mother of the main square. They changed history, and they, are, they have a big headline 
with their names in the history books of the children right now. Mm. Um, if you talk about Angola, that is very close from you, um, unfortunately, I think it did not change really for the moment. Uh, they, but they do exist. I mean, they do exist. And even if they save one only life, that's... <laughs> I mean, I don't know for you, but did you ever save the life of somebody? That's as it, that's far as I'm concerned, the answer is no. Yes. So, <laughs> uh, but some of them know, for some of them, the, 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 the trouble is even worse after their commitment, after their, their fight. Mm. Uh, some of them paid a really heavy price of that. You talked about Congo, that's the price for many of them. Mm. Mm. Um, but on the other hand, they, they had, um, the, all of them um, had successes. They, all of them changed a bit the face of that world, yeah. <laughs> even uh, by one millimeter. And what I'm sure about is that if we have one man um, doing the same thing, we will write he's a hero. And when it's about women, we do not write that. Mm-hmm. So, Pierre-Yves, um, are, you, are, you are you coming to Durban uh, in a few days? Are you going to be part of the exhibition? Oh, no. Unfortunately, no, for financial reasons that I do really understand. Uh, no, no, I will not be here, and I'm, I'm very sad of that. I've seen, you know, the exhibition, uh, there are two sets of, the, of that exhibition right now um, turning in, in Africa. One um, is actually in Congo, mm-hmm. in Kinshasa, and that other set, uh, I've been to five or six, six cities in uh, South Africa and Lesotho, and uh, I've seen the, the, the installation, and it's really amazing. I've seen all the people there, and I'm so sad not being there. <laughs> well, I was hoping you'd be able to tell your story there because it's so interesting. But um, would people understand, uh, it, you know, because I'm not too sure if there's, there's wording and if it's in French or in English, um, but is it easy? Do pictures tell their own story, your pictures? Um, I mean, this is your comment. I cannot comment it. I mean, I just, I just uh, yeah, I try to share that. And if, yeah, I'm happy when I listen to what you said. Just, um, just when I try, just, uh, and, and I work a lot with the children in France uh, of that, just try to change your mind and look in the other direction. Uh, gender equality is just um, everybody will win, men and women. Mm-hmm. The, the question we men have in our mind that uh, there, there's, there's a loss of power somewhere, that's just stupid. It's a nonsense. So, I mean, just my hope is that looking at what they have done, these wonderful women all around the world, and what you women are doing, and definitely right now, uh, we, it's stupid to do without that. And it's stupid to, to put on your way barriers that will... Um, make that, that role more difficult for you. That's mm. nonsense, mm. even for us men. Mm. You, you spoke about financial uh, reasons, you know, that's why you cannot come, but who's been, who's been funding, who funded this, this project? Uh, me. <laughs> oh, okay. As I said, as I, said I, was a, I was a financial analyst before uh, mm. becoming a, a photojournalist, mm. and I had savings, uh, it's a long time ago now, <laughs> but uh, I had these savings and, and this, um, I spent all this money in, in doing that. Mm. Then after I have exhibitions, like the one you will see in, in, in South Africa, or, mm. or big, big, big exhibitions that are turning in, in Europe also, mm. and 
the South African version is a summary. Uh, and then I can I can get money with that and trying to continue a bit. And uh, I work with uh, NGOs and especially one that is in France. And we launched a magazine uh, called it, the first name was Women in Resistance. Now it's uh, Women Health and uh, Here and Elsewhere. Sorry. And uh, and with all this, we try to get money and to continue that uh, that work. Well, fantastic. We're so glad you could talk to us and. Uh I'm, I'm hoping that everybody finds an opportunity to go and see see the the exhibition. But when you are traveling to South Africa again, please let us know, and we we you know we we can celebrate your work. Oh, that's my promise, and I hope I will make a reportage in South Africa. You have so many wonderful women there. Of course, of course. I mean, that's <laughs> <laughs> for other reasons as well. But thank you so much, Pierre Yves, um, and thank and, you and very much. congratulations on your work. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's Pierre-Yves Genet, and uh, the exhibition is called Women in Resistance at the Sankin Garden at the Durban Botanic Gardens from the 20th of June to the 10th of July, and entrance is free, um, and apparently there's an interactive element to this project. Uh, there's a Facebook page, Women in Resistance Exhibition, Durban and KZN. It's open to everyone. So the idea is to go to the exhibition, take a selfie in front of the Women in Resistance, Durban and KZN backdrop, upload your selfie to the dedicated Facebook page, and add an inspiring text to accompany your image. So go to Facebook, look for the Women in Resistance Exhibition, Durban and KZN page, open, take a selfie, and put your face there with uh, an inspiring text um, in a few minutes we're going to uh, have our children's program but for now let's listen to Tandi Somazwai 